You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Media business columnist John Fine goes on the record online. You know, Lonely Girl 15 getting a couple million views on YouTube. Um, if that was a series and that, that's what it was getting on CBS, then people at CBS are, you know, opening their arteries because that's terrible. Hey there, it's Eric Schwartzman. Um, thanks for downloading another episode of On the Record Online, a podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Uh, we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, and today we have... Uh, John Fine of Business Week. He's the media business columnist there. Does a column uh, called Media Centric, uh, which is um, definitely uh, interested in the intersection of new media and mainstream media. And so I think you'll enjoy this interview. Um, if you are looking to attend the upcoming uh, New Media PR Boot Camp, uh, March in New York is now sold out. Uh, we have an April date in Chicago. Uh, we also are going to be uh, doing um, the PR, New Media PR Boot Camp um, in May in Naples, Florida at the PRSA Counselors Academy. And then after that, we'll be doing it in Pittsburgh uh, at the PRSA Travel and Tourism Section uh, Conference. Um, and then we're going to be doing it again in October at the International Conference uh, in Detroit. Um, if you're interested in attending or if you're interested in one of the West Coast sessions, send an email to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Now we are going to play for you the interview with um, John Fine. As always, it comes to you completely unedited, as is the hallmark of this show, and we are going to play it for you in its entirety after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. John Fine, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Now, John, uh, there was a little YouTube clip that I I saw before I called you up. It was uh, someone, I don't know if they were on a a cell phone video. It looked like you were at a conference or something. And you said, um, you know, the stories that PR people are interested in putting out are often the ones that are least interesting stories to journalists. Well, yeah. And so so my question, so the first question is, you know, is, is there a glimmer of hope behind that generality? I mean, are there some productive relationships that you have with PR people? Um, uh, there, you know, there probably are, but I mean, th- this is a basic truth. I mean, and, and it's just important to acknowledge it. The PR reporter relationship, if each party is correctly doing their jobs, is an adversarial one. It just is what it is. There are two parties with two interests that rarely overlap. And when they do sort of coincide, even then, you know, they're, they're coming at it from completely different directions. So, I mean, you know, it is, it is at heart an adversarial relationship. Now, I mean, you can get all, like, you know, cop movie, like The Killer with it, and it's like, you know, you're playing, you know, it's like someone's the cop and someone's the bad guy. Um, and, you know, but they're the only people who really understand each other because they each do the same thing every day. I mean, you can look at it like that. But, I mean, at heart, you know, this is not a 
is not necessarily a friendly relationship. Because, I mean, the stories that journalists are most interested in are the stories that PR people least want to get out. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just very simple. But that sort of supposes that, you know, every story that's a great story is, a bad, is bad news. And certainly there are, that's no, but I mean, the news, I mean, I think, I think a really decent working definition of news is something that someone doesn't want you to find out. Um, and I wish I, could, I wish I could take credit for that, but I think it's a line I'm stealing from the movie The Insider. And I mean, and you know, you know, that, that's pretty decent. I mean, what are the big, you know, news stories of the past year um, or the past couple of years? I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, governmental malfeasance, um, you know, vis-a-vis the Iraq war, um, you know, vis-a-vis, you know, misbehavior. I mean, th- these are the big, you know, stories. I mean, um, Lindsay Lohan, you know, being allegedly caught on a cell phone camera doing drugs in a bathroom drives insane traffic. That's not the story that her PR person wants to get out. I mean, this is a really basic fact. I mean, I don't even think it's really particularly debatable. Right, right, right. So do you think, uh, if you just sort of look big picture at the whole thing, um, that the reason so many of these stories that, are, that get out get out now is because people are behaving differently or just because of digital technology? Um, well, I mean, there, there, there's so many different ways to approach that. Um, but certainly there's an explosion in, uh, you know, the news cycle became 24 hours some time ago, and it just keeps getting faster and faster. And there are, um, you know, there are many outlets in many different arenas that essentially compete on an equal footing, at least in a very specific area, you know, with the big guys of the world, with the CNNs, with the New York Timeses, with the Times of London's, you know, you know, with Le Monde in France or, you know, whatever else you want to throw in there. Um, so, uh, you know, but I, I, on, on the other hand, I mean, the flip side of that is that, you know, the big investigative muscle still resides in the, you know, the traditional, um, you know, the, the traditional players. You know, Cy Hirsch, uh, you know, works for The New Yorker, and he works for a place where he can do a story for three to four months. You know, I mean, if he was a blogger, that really wouldn't work. That really wouldn't work. I mean, the ethos of that... Um, medium is that you, you, you just you need constancy um, i haven't updated my blog that. yet I mean, this you, week i'm actually do... working on a blog post right now it's wednesday and i'm i am ridden with guilt and horror at myself um you know it's, it's just an entirely different kind of thing now i mean blogs are obviously i don't need, i shouldn't even need to say this you know um there, there's a range of of you know the kinds of blogs out there as there is a range of print publication when the new york times published a story that had some implication that John McCain was suspected of having an affair. It had a much bigger impact than the supermarket tabloid, The Globe, which this publishes would promise to be some sort of huge tell-all on his affairs. I mean, we assign more weight to The New York Times, reasonably. But, you know, there are bloggers, you know, that the, the blogosphere includes, like, the, the stone guy down the street who's drooling on his... And people who are essentially, um, who are doing what, by any definition, is actual journalism. They're fact-checking, they're making phone calls, they're, they're, they're using multiple sources, and they're breaking news. Now, let's talk about um, cycle for, news cycles for a minute, your, your news cycle. I mean, you're, first of all, tell us about Media-Centric. How long have you been doing it, uh, your column for Business Week? Um, I, my column has been running in Business Week since June of 2005, so it's about two and three quarters right now. I started the blog later that year. So now, how, how has, has there been any change... In, um, in, 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 in your level of trust in the various sources that you've consulted to write that story over the last two years? What story? The column. Um, well, I mean, the, the, the sources, my, my, my sources are individuals. So, um, 
and uh, so I'm, I'm not really quite sure how to answer that question. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I'm going to borrow a phrase that uh, that you know a colleague who also writes about media uses, which is that you know certain like if you do something a long enough time, if if you if you fish in the same lake for a long time, you eventually figure out where the fish are, and you try not to go there too much because you don't want to use it up. Tell us, do you have a policy on embargoes? Well, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with, you know, um, with, uh, with, I mean, you know, it, it comes up. I mean, I'm happy to have a conversation, you know, about it. If I find out about something first, then it, it's a totally different thing. But if it's brought to me, then, then I'm, you know, I, I don't have a particular issue um, with, uh, with, a, with, you know, honoring them. Any thoughts on uh, the embargo on uh, Prince Harry's um, uh, tour in, in uh, Afghanistan and Matt Drudge breaking that embargo? Well, there's an inevitable tension with news, and I mean, I'm going to put on the purest hat. Um, you know, Prince Harry, as a as a soldier in um, Afghanistan, Prince Harry is a public figure. He is a celebrity. Prince Harry uh, serving active duty in Afghanistan is a big, big story. The interesting aspect of that is that, you know, the London tabloids went along with it. Um, you know, I mean, there's a very... Uh, there's just so much more of a robust and um, media culture in many ways in London. There, there's real, absolutely no analog whatsoever to it in the U.S. It's very interesting, and they, they, they all went along with it. But they all went along with it, um, and I'm not, I am not in any way um, kind of pishposhing them, um, because there are there are certainly examples when the New York Times gets called up by the administration. They say, "Listen, we need you to hold the story because there are national security reasons." And you know, and and, it, and the New York Times has done that. I mean, this is a matter of public record. Um, but you know, the, the I think that the, but there's no real analog to royalty in the United States. If um, Barbara Bush were serving active duty, I, I mean, I don't think they would be able to get. Away, I don't think the Bush administration would be able to get away with not having people write about it. Let, let's talk for a minute about the mainstream media business, which is something you write about, of course, every week. Uh, let's talk about the newspaper business. Um, you know, from our side of the fence, uh, PR people who practice media relations um, were sort of following the, the law of diminishing returns because the newsroom is becoming increasingly insolvent. There are fewer people to pitch. Um, we're seeing more mergers and consolidation. Well, I mean, well, let's, let, let, let's actually slow down a little bit here. I mean, um, there, there's no question that the newspaper and newsrooms are shrinking. But in, and I'd be willing to say that in any market in the United States that the main newspaper is still the single largest local newsroom, active newsroom. And in fact, it's that by a lot, by a lot, by like a factor, you know, by, by a factor of two or three. Um, radio news operations are tiny. TV news operations are tiny. Um, you know, it's, it's still the biggest local um, game in town. The problem they're running into is that for a variety of reasons, you know, the value of that as, as rewarded by the market and advertising in particular is not what it used to be. And newspapers are, are in the middle, maybe they're in the middle, I don't even know where they are, they, they may be a little past the middle, of the wrenching transition of, like, say, how things used to be 10 years ago and how they're going to be in, like, I don't know, three years. And no one knows what, what, that, what that future is. No one knows if a newspaper in 2010 is essentially 70% of its old size in revenue, or 60%, or 40%, or 80%, or 20%. I mean, we, we just don't know yet. Um, in my last uh, podcast episode, I interviewed Duncan Wardell, who's the VP of um, Communications for uh, for Resorts, and he uh, he's handicapping uh, uh, daily print. He says three to five years to deliver news on dead trees that they're going to have to somehow migrate online. 
Do you agree? I, I would actually, I would, I would, I would dispute that. Um, I think that uh, you know there is going to be a legacy process in a manufacturing and distribution business, which is a pain, and the costs of there are only going to go up. Paper prices are going up. I don't think anyone's expecting fuel prices to moderate anytime soon. So you know, so that, that that's a pain, um, and and there's there's and it's. And it's um, it raises costs on that, but you know, print ads remain much more valuable to an. I mean, you get a lot more for them than you charge for online ads. And there's people who are willing to plunk down twenty five cents, fifty cents, a dollar, a dollar fifty to buy the newspaper every day. Um, so I think I mean to say that in three to five years are all gone. I think is incredibly short sighted. Um, I do think, and I I mean I actually predicted this, and my predictions are typically really bad, but I do believe this. Um, I do think we are going to see a major newspaper of some size go essentially paperless, you know, within a period of time. I, I absolutely expect within the next 12 months that one, at least one decent-sized newspaper will stop printing its, say, Saturday edition, which in a lot of places is the smallest edition, or maybe the Monday edition. I, I would put my money on Saturday, actually. Um, because, you know, you, you can sort of separate it out and say, like, look, we're losing money on this edition. And if the people really need it, they can get it online. And by the way, tomorrow is Sunday. And if we're a big enough market, the Sunday paper is the big thing. Um, so, you know, I, I would expect that to happen. There was a secondary paper in Madison, Wisconsin, that just went all online. But, I mean, they, they, they were like, you know, they, they were a trailing paper. But um, to expect this to happen everywhere in three to five years, I think, is just is just significantly premature. You know, the Los Angeles Times used to be um, hailed for their entertainment business beat. Um, you know, it's not what it used to be down there, but there is one reporter actually. I think there's, there's be, plenty of people who dispute that. Um, there used to be a, uh, there's a reporter down there now who used to be with the Merck named Don Chmielewski, and she wrote a pretty interesting story that they ran on the cover um, uh, last month, um, basically talking about the impact of the writer's strike on um, video-on-demand consumption. And uh, they said uh, YouTube consumption was up 12 and, uh, you know, the question was, you know, will the audience come back to mainstream media? Um, but my question is, um, with, uh, with video on demand becoming a reality and services like Amazon Unbox and, and the Netflix uh, product that's out there and, and, and these um, sort of illicit sites like free uh, project TV, TV where you can download uh, these episodes for free and you don't really need cable to get TV anymore – um, and, and there was actually a story in the journal, I, I believe, last year that talked about, you know, uh, the, the term they used was geographic exclusivity and how, you know, for a business like syndicated television, um, distributing on, on the Internet eliminated geographic exclusivity. Do you think that, um, that the stations, uh, that broadcasters are, are in a tough spot? And, and do you think I – mean, th- how do you think they'll be able to cope with this challenge? Well, um, are they in a tough spot? Yes. I mean, is it the knell of doom for them? You know, uh, not necessarily. Um, I, I didn't see Don's piece. Um, I don't want to cast any aspersions, but I mean, uh, you know, consumption being up on YouTube 12%, I'm not really sure what that means because, I mean, you have to sort of separate out their organic growth right now, which is pretty significant from, like, the month-to-month growth there. And um, uh, I, I would hesitate to use myself as a focus group on media consumption, but, I mean, I, you know, there, there was stuff for me to watch on TV. You know, I mean, I could have gone to a different channel. I could have gone to an on-demand channel. Um, you know, video online is something. It is a behavior we're all engaging in. It is different from television. Um, how we, um, how we, I'm trying to not use the words interact or engage, but unfortunately I don't think I have a choice. How we interact with it is different from, from TV. Um, uh, I may be a minority. I don't like to watch half-hour-long shows on, on my computer. I just don't. I like watching three-minute clips on YouTube. Um, and... 
there still is a gap between the two. I mean, there are things that have, that have been sensations in their own way, but um, this is now an old example. But, you know, Lonely Girl 15 getting a couple million views on YouTube, um, if that was a... Terrible. I mean, you need a lot more than that. I would be... I mean, every major, you know, legacy media form is under pressure. But there are things that are keeping TV, um, I would say, at least above water in ways that, you know, that hasn't happened for, say, the music industry. Uh, the big events on TV still draw in, like, enormous, enormous, enormous audiences. This is the Oscars, even if they were off this year. This is the Super Bowl, which was not off this year. Um, you know, this is American Idol, you know, which, however many years into its run, still gets, you know, tens of millions of people to watch when it airs. I mean, that, that's crazy. And there's no analog to that in, in the media world. And there's certainly no analog to that online. I mean, I wish I, wish I could say... Yeah, I mean, I think that every medium has a sort of, uh, you know, like something unique that they can offer. And, and the thing with television, and I mean, I'm, I mean, I do stuff for CNBC, so full disclosure, but I mean, I, I guess I see myself primarily as a print journalist. Um, uh, you know, the, the thing with television is that its argument is still pretty powerful. We have sight, sound, and motion, and, you know, the biggest audiences anywhere at once are going to be watching us. Um, and you can argue about TV ads, and you can argue about declining ratings, but the basic, you know, the brute facts remain. The brute facts are in their favor, and they're why, you know, TV advertising, as like a share of total advertising, has held up pretty well. But all the examples that you cited um, of, um, you know, program, of, of TV programs that are somehow impervious to, um, to uh, you know, being, being distributed online are live television Programs? It, it, it's not. It's not impervious to being distributed online. It's just that it's something that you have to watch live. You know, but you, it if kind you're of a football fan, you're not going to see the so many spoilers out there. I mean, if you're a movie fan, you know, Ditto the Oscars and, and American Idol. This is quote unquote event television, um, and, and and it's still really powerful. I mean, you know, the finale of Desperate Housewives is event television. You know, the finale of Lost is definitely event television. But, and, but you for know, the... yes, you know, ratings are down. And I mean, you know, there's asking a question about it. You look at. Um, you know, you look at the long-term trends, and you're looking at a you know a pretty decent-sized ski slope. But even a television, uh, a, a broadcast TV form as um, patently outmoded, quaint, you know, as the the network news at six thirty. I mean, any one of the cable networks would be very, very happy. Cable news would be very, very, very happy to get what the lowest-rated, you know, broadcast TV show, um, broadcast TV news gets, because, I mean, that, that would be like, I don't know, quadrupling of their audience, basically. One of the things that seems to go exact, away, one of the things that seems to go away, you know, with, with live programming is there's no shelf life to the content. It's like if you've TiVo'd the game and then you find out uh, on your way home who won, you know, you, you don't want to watch the game anymore. And there are so many spoilers I mean, I'm, out I'm not a sports fan, I mean, so I'm, I'm the wrong guy to check with, but, I mean, if there's a really great... I mean, really great sporting events, you know, have their own kind of narratives that, that deserve getting, you know, replayed. I mean, as close as I'll be to a, um, a sports fan, I mean, like, I'm fascinated by boxing, particularly old boxing. Um, you know, watch the last Ali-Joe Frazier fight. I mean, that is an epic narrative. That is an epic, epic narrative. It, it bears watching over and over again. Because it's, it's just insane how those guys can keep doing it. And at this point, I know what the narrative is. I know how it's going to end. I know, like, I know, you know, the twists and turns, but it's still compelling. Right. So, I mean, yes, I mean, you need to watch it when it happened. I mean, I wouldn't have TiVo'd that 
and it was on, I believe, broadcast TV at that time. It was so long ago. But, um, you know, I mean, they, they, someone is going to figure out ways to, like, you know, chop it up and, like, you know, do, like, a best of, you know, and maybe ESPN is already doing that, and I'm watching enough sports to really know. But, what, um, what about know, the there's movie There's probably business, a way John? to squeeze a few more dollars on the back end out of, like, you know, live sports programming. Well, what about the movie business? I mean, I was, I was actually talking to an executive at a, at a major studio um, who sort of confided uh, in me at a social event saying, you know, I'm looking at the numbers, and this is a business person who said, I'm yeah. looking at the numbers, I just don't see how this is going to be sustainable anymore. Um, well, he's right. I mean, none of this is sustainable in its current form. I mean, everyone is, everyone is coming to grips with that in one form or another. But there's a very big gulf between sustainable in its current form and extinct, you know? Um, I mean, the major record label, after 10 years almost, of Napster and downloads and, you know, them essentially, you know, reaping the, the various ways in which they've, you know, mistreated their customer base, um, I mean, they're still there. I mean, I'm not saying they're happy places. I'm not saying that you want to work there. I'm not saying that you'd... I mean, I don't make invest. I don't do investing advice, but I'm not saying you'd want to invest there in, in those companies. They still exist. They will probably exist in some form, even though they're the most endangered thing in the world. The movie business will still exist. Um, the movie theater business, I think, is, is under a bit of a challenge because you know the, the you can you can essentially do a home theater that's almost as good an experience as one you know that you go out and pay you know probably too much money for. Um, I mean, it's it's basically one story that just is rippling throughout all this stuff. I mean, none of this is sustainable right now. But, you know, um, magazines seem to be the one good story. I mean, magazines the one good story? are up, right? What? Magazines. That's a good story? It seems to be. I mean, it God, seems... No, what? No, 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 no. For the monthly glossy books? Um, no, no. Look at the overall ad figures. Um, the, you know, it's to down for, for several years. But if you just isolate consumer monthlies... You know where where the product if you isolate is... a couple of consumer monthlies, but I could rattle off the name of ten maga- ten major glossy monthly magazines that don't exist anymore. Sure, that did exist Please in two thousand when I first started covering them. Please do. Um, okay, or just uh, rattle off a few if you would. Okay, Mademoiselle, that's one. Um, the, one of the big PC magazines went down. I think um, Yahoo Internet Life, which was a huge magazine in nineteen ninety nine, it disappeared completely in two thousand. Red Herring. Sure, industry uh, standard. Business 2.0. Right. Um, let's see. Let, that, that, that's a little too digital. Maybe let's get out of digital. Um, Condé Nast shut, uh, started and shuttered Cargo magazine. They did, yes. Um, and then there was uh, uh, Teen Vogue. Think of what other ones? Time. Well, t- Time is mostly we- uh, weekly, so they don't really do a whole lot of monthlies. Um, Hearst shut down Victoria, which is kind of a smaller magazine. Um, a number of teen magazines have fallen by the wayside. Actually, Time Magazine, Time Inc. shut down Teen People. Uh, um, Hachette Filipaki shut down L Girl. Hachette Filipaki shut down George. Um, Hachette Filipaki shut down. There's probably a couple of others. But where am I at? Like eight or nine? Do you think um, that you know the the magazine is a format like a fashion magazine? I mean, that seems like that'd be a pretty tough thing to duplicate on the web. That is a tough thing to duplicate. But you're talking about a very specific subset. Of magazines, I do sure. think that is very tough to duplicate. I mean, Vogue magazine is a physical object. You know, Harper's Bazaar is a physical object. Elle is a physical object. You want the physical object, and I mean, and their advertisers more importantly want a physical object. If your business model is, you know, spending twenty five dollars to make a pair of jeans and tr- then convincing consumers that they should spend three hundred dollars on them, 
Um, you need you, you need an environment that's almost like a coffee table book to do it. But that that that's a tiny portion of um, you know magazines, the magazine business. A much bigger portion, for instance, would be you know what's called the the you know the Seven Sisters, which I think is down to five at this point. Um, Better Homes and Gardens, um, Women's Day, uh, Good Housekeeping, Red Book, uh, McCall's, which became Rosine, which is shut down. Um, these were you know kind of the tent poles of the industry. And they're just not the businesses they used to be. They still exist, most of them, but they're just not anywhere near as, as, as big as they used to be because the idea of a general interest magazine is just difficult right now. I mean, Time Magazine, uh, Newsweek, Business Week. I mean, these are not magazines as big as they used to be. Let, let me run an idea by you and get your point of view on this. Um, I teach a, a, a workshop once a month called the New Media PR Boot Camp. And uh, it's always, I do it in New York. It's always sold out. And I'm always sitting there with a bunch of people at big companies who are trying to figure out what new media is, what it's all about, how it works. And, um, and you know, the, the frequent question um, amongst senior people often who are attending is um, at what point, you know, how low does your stock price have to drop before you take new media seriously? And... Um, the debate is, well, you look at a, a market leader like Apple, um, you know, people love the company, uh, you know, devoted, loyal fans, yet it's a, you know, opaque company. Um, they're doing great. Their stock price is, is solid, but, uh, you know, there, there's no authenticity or transparency at all in how they communicate with their audience. Um, it is very timed. It is very formalized, very polished. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's a, but I mean, and then by it, contrast, it's kind of like a cult. I mean, it's like the cult of Steve, and the people who are into it are really into it, and I don't think they mind. Uh, I mean, they, they've almost built a mystique around the way they do it. And then by contrast, you look at companies that are sort of adopting social media as a way to communicate. I mean, they're, in many cases, they're companies that are severely undervalued or, or really, you know, um, holding the short end of the stick in today's economy, like GM or, you know, any number of sort of old economy companies that are, are really having a hard time catching up. Do you, do you see that? I mean, do you see any division? Do you think, like, uh, market leaders are, are less willing to adopt new media if their stock price is high and that it sort of takes hitting a bottom before they're willing to sort of wake up and smell the coffee? The problem is that, you know, if your stock price has fallen and then you act, I mean, you've, you've screwed yourself. You've completely screwed it up. Um, and I remember... Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, just hearing CEOs of sundry media companies saying, like, you know, we like in like 2005 or 2006, saying like, we get it, we're embracing the internet, and I'm like, where the hell were you five years ago? Because now you're now you're two generations behind, and it's going to be hard as hell to catch up, and you're going to have to support a developing, unprofitable operation with with a legacy one that's got declining profits too, and you know, good luck. And um, you know, I mean, there, there, there's plenty of places that that you can, you know, that you can point that at. Um, but, you know, not a lot of, there, there are, how do I put this? There are probably fewer, like, mass-sized, you know, Internet hits than people generally think. And a lot of the, like, sort of, um, you know, blogs and blog networks that are, you know, very, you know, that they get very good word of mouth in one place or another. I mean, I, I'm, I'm betting their businesses aren't really that big in the grand scheme of things. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really quite sure how to answer the question. I'm kind of going in, like, six different directions here. But, um, 
like, like for instance, were you suggesting that GM has done well in terms of embracing social media? Because I don't, I didn't, I don't really see that. They've launched an initiative called GM Next, which is essentially a a social news site that pretty much turns their history over to the visitors of the site to create their their corporate history, participate in discussions. You know, they've got um, well, great. environmentalists I mean, I mean, on like there. Anyone, you know. anyone can do that. Lots of people have done that. I mean, j- just because you do that doesn't mean it's it's going to be good or useful um, or that people want to do it. The, well, I'll the, tell you, the, from the, my the side of the fence, a lot of people have not done it too, I, John. I mean, I'm sorry? a lot of companies are, are really resistant to, um, you know, launching any sort of uh, um, social website that would, you know, relinquish control of the dialogue to Absolutely. a community. Well, yeah, I mean, totally. But, um, uh, but, but what I'm saying, just because they do it doesn't mean that it's going to be good or, or a success. Uh, because, you know, social media that has done really, really well online is, is based around something that people get excited about. I mean, if, if I may be blunt about it, MySpace um, sort of is about was that it's about two things primarily, music and hooking up with people. These are very powerful, um, you know, drivers of human behavior, especially the humans in question are between the ages of, like, you know, 16 and 30. Uh, and it, and it kind of works, you know. I mean, Facebook is, is another, is, is a slightly different version of that. Um, you know, just because it, it becomes huge as something that people do and build, I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to work for, for, you know, a company that sells snowflakes. You know, it's not, it's not an infinitely scalable idea. Sure, sure. Final question, and this is sort of a, a long-winded question, so if you wouldn't mind letting me get it out. Um, basically, an article that appears um, beneath a masthead, uh, like on a website, whether it's by a columnist or not, it brings with it the implication that there was some degree of editorial oversight behind it, right? That it sort of ensured the accuracy and credibility of the content. Um, on the flip side, the best blogs tend to be vehicles that enable an individual to communicate one to many. And the implication is that there really is no editorial oversight, that it's the voice of the individual. Is it possible that we may someday look back at mainstream media blogs on uh, uh, you know, Business Week's website as failed experiments that undermined the credibility of the mastheads under which they were published? Well, all due respect, but I mean, I think that's just a ludicrous notion. Um, the idea that, you know, blogs, you know, that a blog is one thing and, you know, quote-unquote professional journalism is another thing, like that the, the New York Times Daily product is somehow better than Saul Hansel's blog bits. I mean, I'm sorry, I just, I just find that patently ludicrous. Um, you know, there are blogs that are good, and there are blogs that are bad. Blogs, I'm, I'm not saying that every blog that's published under the rubric of major media is good, in, in terms of, like, something that you actually want to read, but, um, you know, just because they're a different format doesn't devalue either, you know, the notion of what is journalism, nor, you know, nor, nor the product that they... Um, you know, that they, uh, that they come from in the first place. I mean, the New York Times has a gazillion blogs now. And I don't know if you spend any time with them. They're good. I mean, they're really good. I, I like they're, Saul's they're, blog. They're, like, well-written. They're original reporting. A lot of, you know, it's, it's, some of it shows up in the newspaper and some of it doesn't. Um, I mean, they're just really damn solid things that are in every way the equal of what's going out in the daily newspaper. I mean, I'm not seeing stuff that's, like, mumbling and cursing and, like, you know, dirty pictures and lots of misspellings. I mean, it is good stuff. Um, and, you know, th- th- I feel that there's, in a lot of places, a-, a temptation to put blogs over here 
and like, you know, real journalism over here. And like, look, I mean, I'm a journalist. I do this for a living. I didn't get a journalism license, you know? I, 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 don't, I don't have a journalism photo ID from the state. I make phone calls. I do research, you know. Um, it, it's pretty basic stuff when you get right down to it. And you don't need to be working at the New York Times to do it. You know, you don't need to be working for Business Week to do it. You don't need to be working for Time Magazine to do it. Um, and a lot of really great, really um, credible, and really significant journalism is occurring outside of those, um, out of those you know, traditional brands, those brands that have meaning that have been around for a long time. And as someone who you know, works for one of the traditional brands, I mean, it's, not, it's, it's tough. I mean, it, it makes life harder. But, but it is such a net good for you know, society and media culture. I mean, I don't, I don't even I don't, this is really being debatable at this point anymore. John, I want to squeeze just one last question in stock price. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Is it, is it going to keep going down? Is it going to, is it going to reverse? I mean, well, anyone making um, investment decisions on anything I say is, is making a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. Um, but, I mean, it, it's really basic. Nothing goes up forever. Um, you know, 100% growth, 50% growth, you know, it doesn't last forever. And eventually there is a day of reckoning. Um, you know, but this... It, it doesn't mean that it's, you know, it's bad. I mean, it's just that eventually, you know, guess what? I mean, Google probably isn't going to, going to control every single ad dollar, you know, anytime soon. But if their, you know, their growth rates to get, were to continue for a few years, I mean, as they were, then they would. I mean, it's, it's just sort of obvious that at some point they, they hit a wall. And, you know, the question is what they do to, you know, to get out of it or to transition to a more managed growth or, you know, or whether, whether this is just a speed bump and they go back up. I mean, I honestly have no idea. John Fine, media business columnist at Business Week. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.